hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Pleasure Priority Podcast. And today we have a very special guest. I'm so excited for y'all to meet her. Her name is Shade Curry, and she is the Dating After Divorce Coach. So Shade, can you give us um, some information about yourself? Yes, thank you, Amber. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I am Shadi Curry, and I am a dating coach for divorced women. I help them go from, you know, healing after their divorce to getting married again. So we, we take the whole journey from healing, getting ready to date again, really cleaning up their thoughts about dating because there's so many thoughts. <laughs> there's so mm-hmm. many thoughts. Almost everyone has the first thought. I don't even want to do this again. I do not want anyone. So we go from, you know, that space of like, not even being sure you want to do it all the way to working through it, learning the dating skills, mastering how to get out there, how to interact, how to nurture a healthy relationship to the commitment phase And then whatever commitment looks like for my clients, for many of them, it's marriage. For some of them, it's partnership. Um, Whatever commitment looks like, we get them to the place where they're open, vulnerable, ready to receive love, ready to give love, and in that happy uh, new partnership. Yes, I love that. And so excited for this conversation. Um, I know y'all have been listening to my story of why I got married and why I got divorced. And if you haven't, go back and listen. But um, I thought it would be an amazing opportunity to have Shade on this podcast to talk about what she does and her experience. So I'd love to just start there. If you could let me know your kind of origin story, um, like what was life like for you, um, mm-hmm. married and divorcing, and how did you navigate dating after divorce yourself? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I love that you mentioned that you explored, you know, why you got married also, you know, as part of your healing and growth journey. So I can just say that I got married the first time, um, I think the core reason was I could just refer to it as self-doubt. I just had so mm. much self-doubt about my own capabilities. Um, all, a lot of that stemming from a dysfunctional childhood, just all kinds of issues in, <laughs> in my childhood, in my parents' marriage, that whole journey, you know, it's, it's, I, can, I think these days we can say, you know the deal. And yeah. Everyone kind of knows. <laughs> right. We all got our own shit. Yeah, We all got our own shit, all our own stuff. So all of that led me to being in this place where I was, between the ages of 19, 21, just really feeling like, okay, marriage was like the goal. So there was a lot of religious um, thinking that led to that, a lot of familial conditioning that led to that. And then also the desire to escape from all the crap, but Mm -hmm. not feeling capable of uh, creating the life that I wanted. So Mm -hmm. I wanted someone who would like help me create that life. And then of course, um, because I hadn't worked through any issues, it led me to choosing someone who looked like they were that person, but really was just taking advantage of all of the gifts that I had that I didn't realize I had. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I had this self-concept that I wasn't good enough, even though I was amazing. Right. And that's one of the things I always talk to my clients about is like, listen, you got to go back and retrieve all the strengths, everything that was amazing about you in your first marriage, in your childhood, when you cut yourself off from the dark past, you also cut yourself off from all your strengths and what's amazing about you. So Mm. at that time, I didn't know what was amazing about me. So 
you know, I chose someone that I thought was going to be like, a, oh yeah, he's got the goods, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just turned out to be this 17 year long, really toxic relationship. And because of my conditioning and my thinking, I didn't even know it, mm. which is really you know, hard to think about that mm-hmm. I was bringing so much to the relationship. I was holding the relationship together, constantly cleaning up his messes, constantly sacrificing my own potential in the hopes that we could make his potential work. Mm. Right. I mean, this mm-hmm. is someone where um, at a certain point, he was always frustrated with his career, our entire marriage. He was constantly frustrated with his career, constantly at odds with the people that he worked with. And at a certain point, I came up with the idea that maybe he should go to grad school. Like, okay, you'll have time to explore, blah, blah, blah. I filled out all of the application forms. (laughs) I wrote the essays. I did everything. And he got admitted into grad school. Did he go to grad school? Didn't go to grad school. Mm. Proceeded to quit his job again (laughs) Mm -hmm. and move us halfway across the country, you know, on some kind of wild ride. So it was just, that was the cycle. Yeah. Wow. You know. Were you in my marriage? Cause wow. Cause wow. <laughs> right. Right. And, yeah. and I think this is the thing with um, those of us uh, like women, we're high achieving women. We're strong. We're responsible. We get stuff done. And because we get stuff done and we're so capable, we don't realize that we're doing everything one. Mm-hmm. And then we haven't, it's almost like we don't feel like we don't have permission to use all of that strength for ourselves. You feel like our strengths are only in service of the other person or whoever is around us. And a lot of that thinking was what I had to change along the way. So, I mean, long story short, short, it was very toxic. Um, He ended up getting diagnosed with bipolar at a certain point in our marriage. And I laugh at myself again, which is when he got that diagnosis, I went to work. I like, I got all the books. (laughs) I read, he did not read a single book. I read all the books. I was trying to line up the therapy. He wouldn't get medication. He wouldn't do any of the work. And I didn't even notice that I was doing all of the work Mm -hmm. Um, because he wouldn't get help. He wouldn't stay in therapy. The marriage deteriorated. It was just very toxic, very abusive, emotionally, psychologically. And when it began to impact my kids in a really obvious way, about the time that they became teenagers, it became really obvious to me that I had to do something different. Mm -hmm. And that's when I left leading to a three-year up and down roundabout very difficult divorce (laughs) which is its own journey Mm -hmm. in itself uh it was a high conflict divorce for sure and um I eventually came out on the other side but about halfway through the divorce I think is where my turning point was so the first thing that I had done right after the separation was I was like okay I was in this thing for 17 years and I thought I was doing good. I thought I was getting it right. (laughs) I thought I was doing all the things. If this is where it ended, obviously I had no idea what I was doing. And I think the awareness that I needed to change and I needed to change my thinking um, helped me really go on this journey of discovery, rediscovery, led me to therapy, led me to coaching, Mm -hmm. led me to being so open to really revamping and changing my life around. And so that's how I came to coaching. I think I just want to take a quick pause because what you said, we need to hear it again. Um, <laughs> uh, just the part where I had no idea what I was doing. And then like, basically like reconciling with that awareness, because 
um, as you were talking, I, I vibed with a lot of your story and we've heard so many things of like from our family or we've seen what relationships look like. We've grown accustomed to what we should quote unquote expect or how things go. And as you mentioned, like we're doing the work, we're not recognizing our gifts. We're looking into his potential instead of our own. And we get this idea that that's normal. Like that's how it's supposed to go. This is what we're doing it right. And us giving everything we got, even if it's taking away from ourselves is just the way it works and what we're supposed to do, especially as black women. And I think even just getting to this point where it's just like, Hey, this isn't it. This isn't the quote unquote right way. I don't want, I don't know what I'm doing. I know I'm not getting what I want. I know I'm not getting the results that I want, but to even just get to the place of like saying, I don't know what I'm doing and I need help. Mm -hmm. That's a huge place to be. And like, one, everybody isn't supposed to know what they're doing. Literally nobody does. And two, everyone's making it up. Everybody's making it up. But it's just like, also everybody needs help. Like we're not supposed to do this thing called life alone and we're not supposed to get it right all in the silos of our own existence. Like it's okay. And also necessary to ask for help. So I really just wanted to highlight that part of your journey as you mentioned, it was the turning point. So yeah, it was, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually grateful. I attended a support group for a while for codependency mm-hmm. and, you know, all of us women in there, we were like just going through the muck, like in the middle of the divorce. And we would, at the end of like our meeting, we would be like, you know what, but we're the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. This is terrible. And this feels awful, but we're the lucky ones because we see it. Mm-hmm. We had hit our rock bottom and we could see, and we had, gotten the awareness that we needed to change, which meant that there was hope, mm-hmm. like we could do something different. Mm-hmm. And we recognized that there were women who lived their whole lives and never saw the difference. Women who died in those situations, in those marriages, um, women who stayed for their whole lives and never got a chance to really do something different. So in many ways, I'm grateful mm-hmm. that I got to see that I was doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Cause it, it hurts, but it is, it's such a beautiful realization because that, is, like you said, it's rock bottom. And now, and now we can go up now we can rebuild and now we can actually move with intention towards what we want instead of looking for it in someone else. hundred yeah. percent. So then what happened next kind of after All that? Right. Point? So, yeah. So right about halfway, like I said, I, you know, I, you know, I was, I was on YouTube watching all the videos, <laughs> everything about narcissism and codependency. And, um, I started coaching. I hired my first coach. I joined, um, uh, scholars, which is, uh, the life coach school where I eventually got certified as a coach and about halfway through all of like my journey, I always knew I wanted to be married again. Like, you know, I always knew this is just something that I wanted I mean, I was conditioned to want a relationship, but I think when I had the, when I got to the point right around 2017, where I I felt great, like Mm -hmm. I had done constant therapy, I was doing the work and I felt so good. I was doing a lot of traveling. My kids were thriving. Um, I was making, you know, good money because I had gone back into the workplace after the divorce. Mm -hmm. I was making good money. um, And so life felt good. So I didn't feel 
like any desperation to have a person. I woke up every day inspired, but even in that situation, I was like, oh, I really do want someone to share this adventure with. I felt like I was on an adventure and I wanted someone to share it with. I was like, you know, I'd read a really good book and I'd be like, oh man, I wish there was someone that I could just share this book with, or I would go to a museum or on a trip. And so I, I knew that I, I guess, I don't know if I was just made to have a partner or if it was just something that was a part of my makeup. I just knew I wanted a partner again. So I, I, I started dating and my initial experience was, you laugh at this. My initial experience was terrible, right? <laughs> <laughs> like it was I can like, relate. <laughs> this, is, this is not fun. It was so bad that at a certain point, I think it was okay. Cupid mm-hmm. matched me with my ex. It's a 99% match. <laughs> okay. So never using that, that site. Um. <laughs> it, it was at that point. I just took it as a sign from God that I needed to do some more work. Mm-hmm. I was like, so, I mean, anyone can get on the app. Every, anyone can download the app. Anyone can put up a profile. Anyone can swipe and start a conversation. Mm-hmm. But when you've done those basic things, it's who you are energetically and in your thinking that makes that process successful. Right. A lot of women feel like, oh, the apps make it successful. So if you're on the apps and the app isn't working, it's the app. Mm. People have met great spouses on every app. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right or they're like well the apps don't work it's you have to meet someone in person and then they meet someone in person and that person turns out to be terrible <laughs> here's the thing it's not the apps and it's not the men mm-hmm. and it's not your city it's you if mm-hmm. it's not working it's you and so my initial experience was terrible but because I was doing the work I recognized how who I was and how I was thinking impacted results that I was getting. Mm -hmm. And so I took a step back after that first, I don't know, it was like first six to nine months of dating. Um, And I did it in online and in person. So I did both and it just didn't work out either way. So I took a step back and did some work on dating. So I took a step back. I didn't hire a coach. I really didn't know. At that point, I was doing a lot of general life coaching. I didn't really like have a network where there were like specific now I know that there's a ton of like dating coaches and things. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know about those niches then, but I just took a step back and did some work. I worked on like my vision for my relationship. I worked on how I was showing up for connection. I worked uh, more on like some of like my old patterns and I took a moment to see how they were showing up in dating. So even though I had healed them kind of like for the divorce, like how, how are they showing up in dating, all of that. And then when I came back to the app, I met my husband in about six weeks. Wow. The second time around. And that's what mindset does. That's what mindset mm-hmm. work does. That's what healing work does is it changes you fundamentally where you look at the world differently. You see different things because even just our brain can't handle all the stimuli that comes at it mm-hmm. in any moment, your brain is shutting out. I don't know what the percentage is, but my guess it would be about 90% of what's happening around us. So right now there's, um, I don't know, a thousand objects in this room that I'm in and my brain is shutting out most of them because I'm looking at you mm-hmm. and we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever your brain thinks is important is what it's going to find in the world. Right. So if you've been conditioned to find all the toxic guys <laughs> and you're thinking is to process those kinds of relationships, that's what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. And w- when you change your thinking to find what you're looking for the healthy men, the nice guys, when you understand what they look like, 
and you change energetically to find them, you will find them because they're everywhere. And yeah. so that was my journey with, um, that was my journey with dating. Like, and I enjoyed the dating process for the most part, like the second time around, it was really good. Even the first time when it was terrible, I enjoyed the process itself. Just like mm -hmm. a lot of the people I connected with weren't great, but I did meet some good guys. That's the thing. I met some good guys, I actually met uh, one of them who helped me get the job that I was telling you about. That was like a really good job. Like he, nice. we ended up just being friends and he was a recruiter and he gave me some tips and it was just like, so it can be this, dating can be this whole adventure mm -hmm. that you go on to find your partner, but also enjoying the process along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was one more thing that coaching did for me <laughs> after I met my husband. So <laughs> Um, I met my husband, he was great. We were having just a really good time, but I mean, we're both like, I don't know what the word is. We're not, we're both really chill in many ways, but like we, we both have like these areas of our lives where we're both like, like, this is just how, this is just this part. Don't touch this yeah. part of my life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we had to do a lot of negotiating along the way. And then there was this one time, and I really don't remember what the argument was about. We've been dating for, I don't know, a couple of months. And I was, you know, of course I had been coming out of like healing from being a people pleaser and all of that. So I was like really big on boundaries. I was like, I got my boundaries going. <laughs> right? So I don't remember what the argument was about, but I remember I came home. Um, I think we must've talked on the phone or something, or we met up for dinner. And then I came home and I was like, I'm going to set boundaries with this guy. I'm going to put up with this. This is ridiculous. And I had just been introduced to the Life Coach School podcast. You know, I'd listened to a few episodes and I knew that she ha Brooke had a couple of episodes on boundaries. And I said, you know what? I'm going to listen to her boundaries, get a refresher on how to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but you know that boundaries, you know, with our school of coaching is very different from the- What we think the they are. <laughs> Out there in the world, for the most part, boundaries are like rules that you set for other people. Mm -hmm. and they have to keep those rules because you say so and if they don't then they're being disrespectful and you don't need them in your life and you can cut them off and bye <laughs> yes and that was exactly what I was gonna do yep <laughs> but people and that's listen. not how real boundaries work <laughs> Shade's yeah. about to tell you <laughs> I know so I listened to her uh to her she had two episodes on boundaries and two episodes on love kind of like back to back mm -hmm. and I listened to them and I was like wait what like, <laughs> he gets to do whatever he wants mm -hmm. and I then decide what I'm gonna do I have to do something wait but he's the one doing it wrong mm -hmm. and there was another thing she said in there like um the people in your life are just there for you to love mm. I was like wait what I mean it, it fundamentally changed how I saw the world right because we're often often taught that whatever it is, a relationship romantically or a friendship or um, a career, a business or whatever is supposed to fulfill us, is supposed to mm -hmm. bring us joy, is supposed to make us happy, is supposed to do all these things when really nothing outside of us has that responsibility. Um, it, we are in complete, complete control of that. So the people that we invite in our lives where that we mm -hmm. choose to love or hang out with or do business with or make money with or like whatever it is, they are there to do those things with, but not make us feel any type of way. So definitely yes. I had that realization listening to those podcasts too, of just like, 
they don't have to act in any certain kind of way to make me feel safe or respected Mm -hmm. or loved. Like I can create that for myself and I can choose people who make it easy to be around that. And I get to decide if they're acting in ways that um, actually align with that and help facilitate that. And if Mm -hmm. they don't, I also can decide to stay or leave, but that is my choice. So yes that 100% responsibility for what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I want to caveat that because I know this is like, this, we're not talking in a coaching container is that this, there's some nuance to if someone is hurting you, if yes. like someone is being destructive to you, mm-hmm. right? Then you, you, it's your responsibility to get yourself to safety, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not taking responsibility for other people's destructive behavior if someone is harming you physically or psychologically like this is when I say he gets to do whatever he wants Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not saying people get to just harm me and I get to just sit there Mm -hmm. but it's that when when a fundamentally good person is in my life um me asking them to behave in a certain way so that I feel good asking them to follow my rules of behavior you need to show up on time you Mm -hmm. need to bring me flowers on this day all of that and if they don't then I don't feel good that Mm -hmm. that's not those are not appropriate boundaries like right that's control right and so I remember that night I called I called my was my boyfriend then my husband at now and you know we talked and he was like you sound completely different (laughs) You don't want to bite my head off anymore. You don't want to bite my head off. And I mean, and I look back and it's just, I feel like coaching saved my relationship. And I I hadn't even signed in. I hadn't even joined the coaching program at the time. Mm -hmm. And it just really solidified for me the power of examining my thinking Mm -hmm. yet again, even as I moved forward with healing and growing, even after I met this amazing guy. I still needed to work on my thinking. I still had thoughts that could potentially sabotage me if I didn't like investigate them, examine them. And that's part, now that's part of my practice, which is why with my clients, I don't just help them date. I'm like, listen, we've got to take it through commitment. Cause when you do meet a great person, it's a whole different world. Mm-hmm. Like there are skills in nurturing commitment that you may not have learned in your childhood, or you may not have practice in your first marriage and it can be completely different because right. immediately that happens you then you turn the manual on where we want to tell people what to do and how to show up and that sabotages the relationship so yeah. that was my you know that was kind of my my journey I, I didn't really tell you how I met my husband we met online <laughs> we met on Bumble so nice. I'm, a, I'm an advocate for Bumble just because that's where I met my husband you know but people <laughs> meet my clients meet their you know their partners on all kinds of apps um he had, uh, so he had joined, I had been on Bumble again for several weeks at that time. He had joined on, he joined on a Friday night at 2 a.m. He's a night owl. So he had joined mm-hmm. 2 a.m. on a Friday. I had my age set. I think I was about 40 at the time ish. So I'd set my age limit to 48, mm-hmm. but the Wednesday before I canceled the date because the guy had said, we had set up the date on a Friday to meet on Wednesday. And then he just stopped talking, but he, he would confirm that he confirmed the date, but he didn't, he wasn't going to co- continue the conversation. And I was like, well, if you're not, if we're not talking, then there's no, no point. Right. So we canceled the date. So my queue was empty and I was like, okay, fine. I'll go back out there and see who's out there. 
And so Saturday morning, so my husband joins at 2 a.m. on a Friday night. That Saturday morning, I kind of sat, I did my self-coaching, did my meditation. And I just had this like, uh, you know, inspiration to raise the age on my, on my filter. Mm-hmm. So I raised it to 55. He was 54 at the time. Um, and I did that about nine or 10 the next morning, 12 noon, we matched. And we just started this conversation that just went all day, like huge mm-hmm. blocks of text, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it was just like, we were having so much fun in the conversation. And then he told me he had just joined the app the night before. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm gonna get this guy off this app. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but even He's like... not gonna last long on this app. <laughs> so I asked him out. Uh, that evening I said would you like to go out tomorrow to dinner we went out to dinner the next day which was a Sunday we we closed the restaurant down Mm. after the date I was like I had a really good time if you'd like to do it again I would be happy to here's my number he texted me um, when I got home and said hey did you get home safe asked me out the next Friday we made uh, plans for the next Friday and then Tuesday he was like so what are you doing today this evening? Like couldn't wait till the weekend. Right. And we hung out Tuesday night and like we've been joined at the hip ever since. He's amazing. Mm. He's like, we have such a good time together. We're always laughing. Um, and even in our three years that we've been married now, close to three years um, now, but we've had all the, all the ups and downs. We've had mm. uh, my children who uh, were living with my ex come live with us. So, you know, when we got married, we had two you know, young adults living with us and they went off to college and then two more teenagers have recently moved in. And we, you know, we've just had a lot, but we've been able to weather it because um, there's just real love in the relationship and the productive kind of work in the relationship versus the scenario that I had the first time. Yeah. And that's so important. I want to like call out a couple things in your stories. One, checking in with yourself, doing the work on yourself, and doing your own self-coaching and checking back in. And then two, again, like checking your ideas of what you think is the quote unquote right way or how you're gonna find somebody. So initially, oh, I can only find somebody in this age range, like that has to be my person. If it's not that, then it's just not for me versus, okay, well, let me just try and up it and just see what happens. And then also you asked him out, you gave him your number, like just, we have so much conditioning, like, oh, well, a guy shows interest and he'll ask you out and he'll ask for your number and he has to do all these things. And it's just like, no, you notice that you were into him. You notice like, oh, hey, I, I'm going to get him off this app. What do I need to do? <laughs> and you went for it and like, and he reciprocated and just being able to go after what you want. Like, that's what I work with a lot of my clients in is like one, allowing yourself to want what you want and then two, like going after it. And, um, and then just having that commitment to each other to know, like one, it's not going to be perfect this whole time. Like you said, the ups and downs, life happens, shit happens. We're just not going to escape that as humans. It's just, it's just going to happen y'all. But, um, like the commitment to each other and the commitment that you have to that love and knowing that you love each other and taking that and letting that be your core, letting that be your light, um, that you follow is so special. It really, really is. It is, um, I couldn't have imagined having a relationship like this 
Mm. You know, like even when I was choosing my, um, my first marriage, like just, it's, it's like, and it's one of the things I try to convey to my clients is like, listen, I get it. When I tell you to have this high standard, it seems impossible. Mm-hmm. But the reason I do this work, even though I'm done and I'm remarried and I could move on to like other things, I want to do this work because I want to keep telling women that it's possible. Mm-hmm. I want to keep letting women know that, no, 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 that relationship where you feel safe, where it's your person, where you can be a hundred percent yourself, where you're not walking on eggshells. I want to keep reminding women that it's possible because mm-hmm. it's really hard to imagine it until you're in it. Right. It just, it's just hard. It's that's so true. Yeah. I, um, I definitely am kind of in that place now. And when I just finally decided to end things with my ex, it did get, it was a lot. There was, um, he was also diagnosed with uh, bipolar one disorder. He had PTSD, um, anxiety, depression, the whole nine, and wasn't really willing to get that help for it either. Um, so that was kind of my like, if you can't help yourself, then I can't continue to try helping you. Like I have to help me. And initially I was just like, all right, fuck it all. I don't want to talk to nobody. <laughs> and then, and then I was just like, okay, well, I'll just have somebody to talk to. So I like made a profile, actually a friend made my profile and it was like, honestly bare bones. Like I was like, I don't really want anybody to know me. Like, I just want to like, just get my feet wet or whatever. And yeah, like you said before, you you get what you throw out. So when I was throwing the net for everybody, I got everybody and including the people that I didn't really want. So um, I did take some of your advice, readjust my profile. And uh, granted, it wasn't that much better, but it was a little bit more intentional saying like, I just got out of a relationship. I'm dating for the sake of dating. Like for me right now, time of recording, I'm 27 years old. So I was like, I don't want to jump back into another relationship. Like I've known him for so long and I've grown so much since then that I want to use dating to help facilitate me finding myself and to help facilitate, like you said, like we have no idea what's possible after coming out of a toxic relationship. So I wanted to just see, like, I didn't want to go to like, oh, well, you're better than the last one. So let's go with you. But it's like, you know, that was a kind of really low bar so we can do better. <laughs> like we can 100%. Do, do better. Um, and I actually have been like having fun in my singleness and allowing myself to date, allowing myself to like people, but also not getting to the place where, oh, this is my next husband. This has to be it. This has to be every, this has to be, there's no really grippiness or possession. It's really just me doing it for me. And I remember when I was terrified to be single, when I was terrified to not have anybody. And now I'm like, I don't even know if I want to get back in a relationship. Like, this is great. (laughs) And like, maybe, you know, talk to me in a year. Um, We'll see. But I also want to just acknowledge that it's okay to not be on the hunt for that forever partner. Like it's okay to be like there for yourself while you also seek someone to do life with, without the expectation that that can only be one person for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said so many things there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
I'll start with like the low bar. And this is another place where I think because we don't know what we don't know. And I think this is a, it's a really healthy thing for um, women coming out of these relationships to acknowledge to yourself that you don't know what you don't know, but mm-hmm. don't also assume that other people know better. So it's mm-hmm. like that, that balance. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we realize, oh, well, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm going to let other people tell me what to do. Right. We don't know what we don't know. And that's one of the things that actually got me into my first marriage because in my childhood, like my parents got divorced. There was a lot of domestic violence with my dad and his first wife and his second wife. So it was like my bar for like a successful relationship was one that did not have domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Like if there's no domestic violence and there's no infidelity. We made it. I, we made it. <laughs> so like if you if you think of a ruler, think of a great, really healthy relationship as being you know, the 12 mark, 12 inch mark on a ruler. Mm-hmm. And the worst toxic relationship is the zero mark on the ruler. Mm-hmm. So let's say my dad and my, the family I grew up in, the, the marriage was, I don't know, maybe it was a two, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm just putting numbers on it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought because my marriage was like a four, I was doing great mm-hmm. <laughs> because I didn't realize that a 12 was possible. Right. And so really taking the time to understand what does a healthy relationship actually look like? Some of us didn't, I, I really, until the, the relationship I am in now is the first truly healthy relationship I've been able to observe from the inside. Mm. So if you haven't actually observed a truly happy marriage or relationship from the inside, you may not know what it really looks like. Like Mm -hmm. you might be relying on the TV or what people say. And, you know, and then you think everybody's lying because the people who look good ended up getting a divorce. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing. Um, The other thing you said was like just losing that grippiness and that attachment to the relationship. One of the things I work with with my clients on is understanding that there is, I'm noticing like there's a pattern of what I'm, I think is like a little bit of arrested development Mm. when we feel that grippiness for a relationship. Because if you think back to when, you know, you were 12 or 13 or 14 and there was that cute guy and like, we'd go back to, I I went to boarding school. So we'd go back to our dorms Mm -hmm. and like signed his last name. Yeah. (laughs) Draw hearts all over the paper. Draw hearts all over. It's actually a normal. Oh, do you like me? Like we're together now, right? Yeah. Forever. Okay. (laughs) Sitting, sitting in class and just staring at him, (laughs) hanging out by his desk, looking for ways to, if you can remember that stage, if you are experiencing that as an adult dating, Mm -hmm. there's a gap Mm -hmm. of maturity that needs to be closed. Ooh, good way to know if you have work that you need to do. Mm -hmm. And I have worked with women in their thirties and forties and fifties who are experiencing that kind of like limerence is the, I think the word that was coined for it Mm -hmm. or infatuation and creating all these, this relationship in their head. Like the guy gives them a single crumb and they build a whole cake around it. Right. Right. And that is like, that work has to be done. Like that's just Mm -hmm. like some deep coaching, sometimes even therapy that's needed there to to close that gap. So that I wanted to say that about the, about the grippiness. And so if anyone's experiencing that for sure, you don't want to, you don't want to date or you want to date with support to make sure Mm -hmm. you don't act 
you don't act on that. And then I forgot the third thing. No. Yeah, no, that, that leads me it'll back to me. <laughs> it'll come back. But what you just <laughs> said about like the grippiness and the limer- limerence um, also reminds me of what you said earlier about potential and how we like look at our partners and we see so much potential in them and we want to facilitate like helping them live up to that potential. And I think in that example that you just used, if somebody gives us a crumb and they're like, oh my God, they give us a crumb. We can make this whole cake. Like, yes, like keep giving me crumbs. Like I can imagine you making the cake one day, but right now I'm going to make the cake because you can't do it right now, but I see it for you. And we like put all of this into making the cake. And it's like, no, boo, like if you want him to make the cake, let him make the cake. And just because he gave you a crumb does not mean he's ready to make a cake or he's ready to make a cake for you. And you deserve somebody to make a cake for you. You don't have to do it. Yes. And being willing to see the reality of what's Mm -hmm. actually happening. Yes. You know, I, you know, I've talked about this, I think in some of my posts is that we had, there's a whole genre of books and movies around romantic relationships. Yes. Multiple. like the drama Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the drama so we are actually accustomed to having drama in our relationships Mm -hmm. and so when the drama is happening and we're building these stories and weird things are happening there's a reason because all the movies have showed us all the reasons the strong silent type yes no he's good he's gonna come around so like we, we we look for that but it's so unhealthy Mm-hmm. or even if it was healthy it might not be your version of healthy right and the whole um oh you may be giving up too soon they may be like just on the verge of their you know whatever but it's just like how long are you willing to wait yeah because yeah one thing um I don't know if it was a coaching conversation or a friend conversation but the word stuck with me um and it was just if he wants to he will and it was me like constantly waiting for him to do something, to say something, to act in certain ways, to do what he said he would do, to do what, like all of these things. And it was just like, I was like, oh, well, there's something going on. There's something wrong. There's something that he needs to fix. There's something that I need to fix. There's something like blah, blah. And it was just like, no, if, if somebody really wants to do something, especially if it just has to do with um, like action, like hugging you or kissing you or like telling you that you look nice when you put on a clothes or whatever like that doesn't take too much effort like if somebody really wanted to do it they would and like going back to kind of what you were talking about when we brought up boundaries it's just like I can let people do whatever they want to do they have that right but I don't have to accept that for myself so if you don't want to do these things that's fine. I don't want to be with somebody that doesn't want to do these things. And I had to, I really had to reconcile with that and letting that mm. at, like that alone be okay. Yes. And some people don't have the capacity mm-hmm. to do certain things too. Right. <laughs> That's the other thing. It's like, listen, or they have the capacity to do things that will hurt you. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I talked to my clients about, I was like, so maybe a guy does something and it's really hurtful. He's mean, sarcastic, or even, you know, physically, you know, abusive. And they're like, well, is this a one-time thing mm-hmm. or is it a pattern? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this man has the capacity to hurt you in this way. Does it matter if it's a pattern? <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> it's like having a tiger. Mm-hmm. So the tiger, maybe the tiger grew up with you and, you know, maybe it generally doesn't eat you, <laughs> but it has the capacity to one day eat you up. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you wait around for that? Like, why don't you get yourself like a little kid, kitten you know, <laughs> puppy or something? Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing about just around the romantic movie genre is um, I recently, this is Valentine's Day week. Mm-hmm. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. And one of the things that I think is really useful for women is to have two separate lists for romance and love. Mm one of the things that my clients face is sometimes when they're dating, there are men who are, who have a huge capacity for romance, Mm -hmm. but they don't have the ability to love Mm. or the willingness to do the things that have to do with love. So, um, I had one client and she had this whirlwind six week romance with this guy and they, they would sit at the beach. They would watch the sunset. They were both really well off. And so they went to like the best restaurants and it was just, incredible like what you see in the movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then but he wasn't there for her he wasn't willing to be emotionally available he wasn't looking for a commitment mm. he was still seeing someone else mm. you know while talking about a commitment with her he was in it for the romance mm-hmm. but because the romance looked like to her because she didn't know the difference between the two because romance to her was love mm-hmm. she didn't look for love Mm. and so got her heart broken again and just for clarity can you define romance and love um so I just the way I've defined it I just sort of do like a list of words that mm-hmm. I think just constitute love so mm-hmm. with love you would have a bunch of these elements maybe some more you would have trust you'd have honesty you'd have presence, you'd have affection. Uh, for me, laughter is a, a sign of love, mm-hmm. mutual reciprocity, mutual care, mutual affection, teamwork, collaboration, steadiness, reliability, trustworthiness. Um, it's like the, it's like the meat. It's like your broccoli, <laughs> right? This is the broccoli mm-hmm. and steak that you're going to eat you know, twice a week. This is the stuff mm-hmm. that feeds your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, having meaning, having um, just companionship, friendship, all of those things. So I just, I just have like a list and I, I encourage my clients to make their own list. So I kind of mm-hmm. give them like just some of the basics. Safety is another one that I think you should feel safe. You should feel calm. You should feel at peace. You should be able to be your authentic self. Mm-hmm. All of these words are wrapped up in love along with a lot of other things. Right. Romance is very different. Romance mm-hmm. is dinners. It's walks on the beach. It's flowers. It's gifts. It's adventure. It's passion. It's the heightened emotion, the chemistry, the anticipation, the thrill. It's the um, cute social media pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I am all for those things. My husband is very romantic. Aww. I am actually a little less romantic overall, but I enjoy romance and I, I make my effort to be romantic <laughs> towards him as well. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't want a relationship that doesn't have romance, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. every, everyone has, I think, I think love, everyone wants love. Like mm-hmm. we all want that solid love. Mm-hmm. And so my advice is like make love non-negotiable. Ooh right yeah why would you why would you give we up have on the honesty? options like we are making this up y'all you hear it here <laughs> first you get to decide that love is a non-negotiable 
Yes. <laughs> and then romance, you can then define and negotiate and have some flexibility. I, this week I asked my clients what their idea of romance was, and it was all over the board. Mm -hmm. I had one client who was like, listen, all of these, she said, I do not want any dramatic gestures. I do not want anyone singing outside my window. I do not want (laughs) any of that stuff. She's like, Mm -hmm. I'm just more like your meat and potatoes kind of girl. Mm -hmm. So for her, if you were to put romance on a scale, maybe she wanted like 10 to 20% romance. And so she, that becomes, it makes things really clear for her how to choose a guy. Mm-hmm. right? Like he's got a little bit of romance. He's kind of the steady, stolid type, but we have love good to go. Mm-hmm. Then I had another client who answered the same question and said, Oh my God, I want all the things, <laughs> right? She wanted it all. She wanted, and, and she was, and she was there for it. She's like, I love romance movies. I want to go on adventures, but you can see where romance is negotiable. Mm-hmm. And so if you have your list of romance, you can pick the guy who is a want match for that. Mm-hmm. And not be confused by a guy who shows up with all of the romance, but none of the love. Yeah. And that's, that's such an important distinction that I definitely, I don't even think I realized until you separated them out in the, in the definitions of those, because we can get caught up associating well, if someone speaks to us in our romance language Mm -hmm. instead of our love language, but if they speak to us in our romance language, and then we just automatically think like, oh, well, that is love. Especially because your friends are like, what do you, what do you mean? He brought you this, he bought mm-hmm. you that, he did this. He did, why are you breaking up with this guy? It's like, yeah, but he is like calling me names. Right. <laughs> That's not cool. Right. Or he's not even there to, for me to talk. Like you said before yeah. with the other one, like, like cool. Like, yeah, we go on dinners, we go on trips, we do this, we do that. Sex is amazing, but like. I don't have that person that I can talk to. And like, Mm -hmm. as we said, that's a non-negotiable because that falls under a love for me. So, and I think we can get caught up like, oh, well, we have the romance. So, well, what's wrong with us? There must be something that I'm not giving the love. And again, that is, that's where the work comes in. That's where the dating with support comes in because it's not you and it's not I mean, well, it could be you based on your thoughts, but like somebody loving you and their capacity to love you, that has nothing to do with you. Um, And really just understanding that every time somebody crosses your path or does something romantic or loving for you, that doesn't mean that that has to be your person forever and forever and forever. And sometimes like you can break up with somebody without having something horrible happen or it just, it just maybe just isn't right. And that's enough. Yeah. So let's talk about heartbreak for just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Ladies, this is part of the deal, Mm -hmm. right? I like, I know heartbreak is painful. Like I've experienced it and you have that longing for the person and that loneliness, but I think we make it harder on ourselves when we go into the dating world with the expectation that we're not going to break up with anyone or no one's Mm -hmm. going to break up with us. Mm -hmm. Like have that expectation that everyone in the dating pool is an adult, hopefully, (laughs) right? And we should all know what the deal is. Yeah, The men should know what the deal is. The women should know what the deal is. Like everyone should know what the deal is. Whatever your gender, like, listen, (laughs) everyone's here to find a partner, which means at some point you're going to say no to everybody else. Mm Mm-hmm. No does not have to be painful. Right. 
especially if he's going saying, yeah, I'm looking for a person there. That person has a right to look at me and say, I'm not their person. Yes. And I don't have to make that mean anything about who I am or how lovable I am or how worthy I am. Mm-hmm. It's just a game. Yeah. It's a, it's a video it's a game. game. It's a, it's a video game. And at the end you find your person. Yeah. And it's a, I have a analogy that just popped up. I hope it lands, but um, basically when you were saying like, um, when you enter the dating game, you also basically just inherently agree that you're going to be saying yes to one person ultimately and no to everybody else. And honestly, we spend so much time um, trying to find the right relationship or stressing about the right relationship, stressing like this one has to be the one. But then I like the analogy I thought of was like wedding dress shopping. And I don't think I know anybody who went into a wedding dress store or even like scheduled one appointment and been like, the first dress I try on is going to be the only dress I try on. Mm. And that's it. Mm. Like you go into it knowing like, I got to see what I like. I got to see what I don't like. I got to see what's available by my date. I got to see if what was in my head actually looks right on my body. And I got to see if I get that feeling and all the things like there's so much that goes into it. And when you are looking for your dress, um, you accept that, hey, like I'm going to have to try multiple, multiple times. Maybe the one I want is just out of my budget and that may break my heart. Um, But there's one out there for me. I just have to keep looking, even if I have to schedule another appointment or go to a different (laughs) store or bring different friends. And it's just like dating is the exact same. Like if you spend that much time getting your dress, what about the person you're going to marry? Like that also takes, yeah, that level of trial and error. So just go into it knowing it's not going to get, you're not going to get it right on the first try. And if you do, you're lucky. Exception. It's the exception. exception. It's the rule. You're the exception. (laughs) It's okay to know that. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to use that against ourselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people will use stories that they hear against themselves. Like, oh, this person just, I don't know. I heard a story on the TV show. These people, they met in traffic. Oh, wow. In traffic. Like the guy, (laughs) I'm like, well, right. They're the exception. I don't even talk to anybody in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So is there any final words of advice that you'd like to leave the listeners or one like crucial dating tip that you've had after divorce or literally anything you have to say? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I want to say about divorce that, listen, at this point, we should accept that divorces are going to happen because they've been happening for a really long time Mm -hmm. and they've been happening in really large numbers. So at this point, let's just not shame anybody around dating and let's not have any shame around, um, around divorce. Mm -hmm. Divorce is a relationship status. It doesn't change who you are as a human. Being single is a relationship status. Like you're a human. I had this conversation with, um, with a client yesterday. I said, you know, anything but single is actually abnormal Mm. because how are we born? We're all born single. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Like we go and change, <laughs> we go and change it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, 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 if our natural state was going to tell us anything is that being single is who we are. And then we decide that we want to do this other thing. 
that's different. We want to pair up with this other person for life or whatever. And if that doesn't work out, you actually go back to being your natural state. Mm. And all of these things are like mental constructs, right? Like I am a big fan of marriage. You know, I'm a big fan of companionship. So when I say it, I don't say to put it down. I say to just readjust the way we look at this. Mm -hmm. We make these relationship statuses mean so much about who we are, about Mm -hmm. our person. We have so much shame when we feel like we're not meeting up to quote unquote, the standard, but there is no standard. The standard is single. If we're going to pick a standard, (laughs) the standard is single. So that's one thing, because I think reclaiming ourselves from our relationship status can really open up so much space for us to do amazing things with our lives, to love ourselves, to love other people, to create, to have adventures and to enjoy our lives. And then when it comes to dating, I mean, I don't know what there isn't to love about dating. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's such an adventure. But because of the thinking that's out there in the world and the thinking that we have and childhood programming, we are doing it in ways that are not serving us. Mm-hmm. So for sure, you know, get some help, read a book, hire a coach, listen to Amber's podcast, listen to my (laughs) podcast, whatever. Like there's enough information out there to like reshape our thinking, to do it in a way that's healthy, to Mm -hmm. figure out the result that we want and to get it. Like it's all, it's all possible. And I think it's possible for anyone. Yay. I love that. And if any of the listeners want to contact you or work with you, how would they do that? So you can find me on my podcast. So that I think that would be my favorite place for you to find me is it's just called Dating After Divorce with Shadi Curry, or you can just uh, look for Shadi Curry. It's S-A-D-E-C-U-R-R-Y. Listen to the podcast in the show notes. You can book a call with me. You can also find me on Instagram, just at Shadi Curry, S-A-D-E-C-U-R-R-Y. Also on Facebook with the same name. Um, basically there are not too many Shadi Curries out there yet. So <laughs> Google me divorce coach. You can find me. Yeah. She's the most famous one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shadi. It's been a pleasure to talk to you on the pleasure priorities podcast. And, um, this is already going to be a great episode. I love it so much. Uh, so thank you for your time and we'll thank talk you, Amber. Soon. Awesome. Uh-huh.